welcome back to yet another episode of the Alternate Oscars. I am your host, Gabe Warren, and this time around, in the tradition of our bonus episodes thus far, we will be taking a change of pace from the usual course. Since it is Black Music Month, I decided I wanted to talk about the 2012 movie Sparkle, which itself is a remake of the 1976 movie. Joining me to talk about the movie is the person who encouraged me to seek it out, Don Lee. She is a television and film critic, Gold Derby contributor, and author. Her debut novel, Sleeping Arrangements, arrives everywhere books are sold next spring. Don, it's a pleasure to have you on this podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. Uh, thank you for having me. I am very, you know, humbled, honored, and grateful for the invitation. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Again, it's just an honor to have you on here. So I guess we should start with when did you first watch this film? Middle school. The film uh, came out uh, August the 17th of 2012, and I was in that theater August the 17th, 2012, opening day. Um, in middle school, I was a massive Whitney Houston fan. Um, <clears throat> I knew of her before she passed away, a few years prior before, before she passed away, but it was her death, um, or I guess around the time after I looked to you, it was after she released her last album, her studio album, that I started to really dig into her discography and filmography. So I watched and listened to any and everything that was Whitney Houston. At the time, YouTube um, wasn't as big as it is now, but it was even back then a great resource uh, to search for things pertaining to her, so interviews and things like that. Um, she was uh, my everything. Um, and it's funny because that has changed. Um, not that I still don't love her, um, but I've always been a bigger fan of Celine Dion. So, you know, Whitney is like second on that list of, of the divas that I admire. I will say about Whitney Houston, well, personally, I do prefer her 80s stuff the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the songs like I Want to Dance with Somebody Who Loves Me and Greatest Love of Them All and How Will I Know. Mm -hmm. And, of well, course, the cover of I Will Always Love You goes without saying. See, I disliked all of those songs. I, I am not a fan of any of her earlier works um, because that's not true to who she was. That was black music that she was singing for white audiences. And so I actually prefer um, the albums that most people mainstream don't really talk about. Um, and for me as a fan, you know, growing up, it was just annoying because she has, you know, other records that people, the masses, continuously ignore. Um, so my favorite records of hers are I'm Your Baby Tonight, um, My Love Is Your Love, Just Whitney is my favorite album by her of all time. Just Whitney is my favorite. Um, and then my favorite soundtrack album of all time by her is The Preacher's Wife because I am obviously <laughs> a black woman who I'm also a singer and I grew up um, with gospel and R&B um, you know, in my home as well as, as that, that's what I love. Um, so, um, those albums, sadly, they get overlooked. Those movies, uh, Waiting to Exhale by, at least by white folks, I won't say by black folks, but by white folks, they, they typically, 
they get overlooked. The preacher's wife and 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 waiting to exhale and um, hell even sparkle. So um, I'm I'm that's that's um, what I loved about her. I I loved her voice when people say you know she wasn't at her peak anymore. I loved her. I loved her body of work after the bodyguard i hated the bodyguard the, the movie the soundtrack was was a good soundtrack um i have one favorite song on that soundtrack and that's run to you every other song i could do without um so <clears throat> you know that's that's my take on whitney's music that's a fair assessment so going into my history with sparkle mm -hmm. i'd only seen it once before when I was maybe 12 or mm -hmm. 13. Mm -hmm. I saw it with my babysitters. And I do remember enjoying the experience. But only certain scenes stuck with me. And I am actually quite glad that we're talking about this movie in particular. Because not only did it give me a chance to watch the original 1976 version. Mm -hmm. It also gave me a chance to reevaluate my thoughts on this movie and remember things that I may not have remembered before. Right. Right. So, um, for me, I mean, I, I watched this movie. I've watched it several times. Um, whenever I watch um, Sparkle, I have to watch other Whitney films. So, I start with um, Except the Bodyguard. So, I start with, like I said, The Waitman's Exhale, The Preacher, Preacher's Wife, um, this movie. I make it a whole black movie day. So, it's not just those movies, but it's also Soul Food. It's also a few other films that I always watch. I make a whole day out of just watching movies all day. My favorite, like, 10 black movies. Um, so, Brown Sugar, Two Can Play That Game. Those are some some classics there. Um, but yeah, I mean, same here. Um, I've watched it more than you, but um, it gave me a chance to rewatch the 1976 film version, which I had only watched one time. Had only seen one time. I wasn't impressed then, and I'm not impressed by it now. So I don't know. It just doesn't hold up to me quite like the remake does. I would agree that the remake does improve on the film. If I wanted to briefly touch on the original version, I just think the plot gets sidetracked at a certain point and it just becomes just an endless parade of songs without much context behind them. I mean, I guess I understand why they're there, but the movie just loses steam real fast. feels very roughly put together. Like, the sort of components for a compelling movie might have been there but the execution just didn't really deliver. Right. Well, I think, um, I mean, the film, obviously it was a box office failure. Um, the original film, it received uh, negative reviews. But what we have to, why I, I have to thank Sparkle, the original Sparkle, Curtis Mayfield, uh, Rita Franklin, everyone involved with the soundtrack, Irene Kara, Philip Michael Thomas, Lonette McKee, Dewan Smith, Mary Alice, Dorian Harewood, and Tony King, um, and, and Joel Shoemaker. Um, I have to thank them because if it weren't for Sparkle back in 1976, there'd be no Dream Girls. 
because if you look at it, Sparkle was Dream Girls before Dream Girls became Dream Girls, before it was a Broadway phenomenon, before it became the the critically acclaimed like smash that it was as far as theater goes. Um, also, we have to keep in time keep in mind that it was a different time then, and it's definitely developed a cult following. I'm I'm assuming because of the remake when the remake uh, got released, people were able to delve into the original and, and compare. Um, but we have to look at the 1976 film for what it was and what it did for, um, at least for me, what I took away from the 1976 film is that, yes, the, the, it was about the music was the plot because it paralleled black identity and culture. It was freedom music. It was, you know, um, a different time where we could, look at themes of self-determination, racial pride, having fun. Because as you know, when it comes to Black people um, or, or Black art, a lot of times it's rooted in trauma. And so this movie, what it showed was that we can have fun too. Now, don't get me wrong. There are, you know, obviously um, drugs, the mafia, the ghetto. There are apparent themes in Sparkle. And you could argue that they are... Um, negative portrayals or, or stereotypes about black people but I, I hope this film in the same regard that i hold crooklyn which is another underrated film uh the film by spike lee the 1994 film is that um it is interesting that there are no positive black male figures in the the film um and every man is using women for things like success and sex and they're being selfish but um at the same time it's like sister, and who is in the original film, Lonnie McKee, um, she is strong and independent enough to pick up everything after Satin, um, after he, you know, abuses her and leaves town and um, all of that in the original film. Um, and I think with the woman's movement being the height of you know, at that time in the 1970s, the Equal Rights of Move, uh, Amendment of 1972 um, certainly helped build that dialogue for Black women and Black women in films. So it's like, you know, this was the Black black exploitation era, and this film was moving away from that. Um, so I kind of, I kind of look at, you know, that and, and look at the film for what it was then. Um, so I don't feel any type of a negative way about the film. I mean, that was a different time. And 36 years later, we had, you know, one that was just as great, just as wonderful. Um, obviously, things had changed in 36 years. So, you know, that's why I will say that the 2012 version um, was, like you said, it was more structured. It was more uh, put together, uh, more so sophisticated, one would say, um, definitely had more of a, a plot. Um, but, I mean, the original Sparkle is one of those feel-good films that people would argue is better than the 2012 film. I've talked to people, particularly older Black women, who uh, who love the original. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's got to be, you know, something that that um, that um, that gravitated people towards it. Uh, maybe it's the rawness. Maybe it's the grit. Maybe it is the honesty. And maybe critics just didn't get it at the time. I mean, it certainly cemented. Uh, so many careers. Irene Cara, this was her breakout. Um, and she went on to win an Oscar and a Grammy and record Flashdance. Lynette McKee, I remember seeing her, the woman of Brewster plays, and he got game with Denzel Washington. Um, I, 
we know Philip Michael Thomas. He did uh, Miami Vice. That was his biggest role. Um, Dorian Harewood, he is one of those people that um, I remember him playing, I believe it was uh, Jesse Owens. Um, I've seen him in some other things, Tyler Perry's House of Pain. Um, and so I'll Fly Away. Um, he was just a very underrated actor. But given these people, I feel like I feel like, I don't know, this was just the perfect showcase for all of their talents. And looking back at it, I mean, this was a stellar cast for, you know, uh, a stellar cast for this project. So, yeah. I would agree with all of the points you made. Mm -hmm. Looking back and thinking of the original 1976 version, it is interesting to see the people who were involved with that. And how its reputation has evolved over time and how its remake undoubtedly helped with that reevaluation. I am particularly interested in the fact that Joel Schumacher was the co-writer on this. You might know him as the director of Batman Forever and Batman Robin and some other cult classic films. He also wrote The Wiz, which was directed by Sidney Lumet. So who I'm very familiar with as being Lena Horne's, um, I believe Sydney Sydney Lamette was Lena Horne's, uh, Sydney Jenny, I believe they're her, that was her, Sydney Lamette was her ex-husband or, and then their, I think their daughter was Jenny. So I'm actually very familiar with, uh, with, uh, Sydney. Um, but of course I know he did, uh, that's right, he was married to her daughter. He wasn't married to her, he was married to her daughter, Gail. And um, I know that he was, he did Network, obviously, which we loved, All the Afternoon, which we loved. Um, you know, I mean, this, the man was brilliant, um, Sydney was. And then as far as Joel, um, not to take away from your, your point, um, it was very interesting to see his name attached to this film because, you know, this is one of those films that you just would not expect from him. And maybe that's why it didn't do as well as it should have because you had white men telling the story of, of black um, America. And, um, you know, I know Lonnie Elder um, was the, he drafted Sparkle. Um, and then Joel Shoemaker edited to make the, the basis for the film that became his screenwriting debut. So maybe it's because it was his screenwriting debut. I'm not sure. But um, yeah. And then I know they had the limited budget, so maybe they couldn't really do too much. Yeah, it did cost only one million. So I have to imagine there were constraints. Right. And I think, I think the 1976 film is remembered more so for its soundtrack than the actual movie itself. I mean, the soundtrack, while the movie failed, the soundtrack was huge. And, um, I mean, when you have Aretha Franklin in the 70s, 70s Aretha, who was, I mean, at the top of her game in every way then, um, you know, how <laughs> she's, she's lead, she's singing all the songs. How could it not be a success, you know? Definitely. There were a lot of films with, like, super successful soundtracks. I'm talking about, like, mega hits. Mm -hmm. Like, even I feel like I'm underestimating, uh, not properly understanding just how huge some of these soundtracks were. And I certainly think that people, around, uh, people now may not realize just how huge they were back in the 70s. Right. 
Right. And um, I mean, yeah, it just seems like back then you had to, to sell a to sell a film. It's like you had to have banging music, banging music. So um, you know, that was that album is one of my favorite albums from her. Um, I mean, it was something he can feel. Um, jump, um, hooked on your love. I mean, that's why I guess I can enjoy the 1976 version because the music was better in that one, for obvious reasons. Curtis Mayfield behind it. Um, so yeah, that's you know what I wanted to <laughs> say. Um, I want to really talk about these performances in the 2012 version so we don't get off track. I really um, love just the cast that was assembled for this. For me, this is like the, just everything, the producers, uh, Mara Rock Hill, Deborah Martin Chase, T.D. Jakes, Whitney Houston, Selena McKeel, the team that was involved in this was just amazing um and then the acting i mean jordan sparks making her film debut and i don't think she's really acted in anything since then and she just she got it got the role and she killed it um i know she had a lot on her plate uh whitney houston needs no introduction um Derek luke who i knew from antoine fisher mike epps legendary urban comedian um Carmen Jogo who I still think is overdue for an Oscar nomination she should have earned one for this film Tamla Mann legendary gospel singer who I adore and know from Tyler Perry movies and plays Tika Sumter who again another Tyler Perry um actress but also had her start in the soap world she was on one of my favorite soaps which is One Life to Live with Tobias Trevelyan and um, Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton. So she played her sister, her younger sister. Omari Hardwick and CeeLo Green. Um, Omari from Power and Being Mary Jane. CeeLo Green, who is, again, needs no introduction. Um, you know, he he dropped his album, his hits. And I mean, you know, he's one of the few people that can disappear and come back on the scene and make an album as great as the last. His last album was severely underrated. Um, but I really, really, uh, Thomas Calloway, I really love it love him and love his work he's one of the few keeping music alive right now so yeah um but whitney i mean her best performance today her best performance today i have never been so impressed um i knew she could act um waiting's exhale preacher's wife they were all indicative of that but i mean here she's just radiant i mean gorgeous as ever looking healthy as ever um this is obviously something that's close to her heart and had been for years, and she just um, she played that role to the T. I also think, and this is this is a bit of long shot because when you think Whitney Houston, you don't think Oscar-winning actress, uh, certainly songstress, but not actress. But um, I really thought uh, if, I, if it was up to me, if I could go back and, and change that, she would have got a posthumous uh, nomination, acting nomination, because she was just that good to me um, for Sparkle. For best actress i'm not sure i would consider her um in the leading actress category she seemed more of like a supporting actress to me but i will agree that she is really good she does convey the complexity of her character really well and i just think about that dinner scene where i think it's sparkle who confronts whitney houston's character right and you can see that Whitney's character has regrets 
but also doesn't want to be, doesn't really want to admit or confront the mistakes she's made. And she just wants to make sure that her children don't make those same mistakes without actually, actually properly addressing them. Right. I, um, for me, uh, for those that aren't familiar with Sparkle, um, who don't really know the film that we're talking about, they're not familiar with it. Uh, Sparkle tells the story, uh, the original told the story of, um, three sisters living in Harlem, New York in the 1950s, and they are all trying to break into showbiz. Um, they're talented. They sing together. They get their start in nice little hole in the walls and, and things like that. And then, um, by the end of the film, they've catapulted or fall, catapulted to success or fallen from grace. Um, the original lead singer of the group is sister, um, who is the eldest sister of everyone, played by Lynette McKee in the original. Um, and in the remake, Carmen Jogo, she plays that role to perfection. Um, Jordan Sparks, um, she plays a, um, another character, and that character for her, um, her character's name is Sparkle who is the, the title character. Um, Emma is their mother um, in the remake. And so um, Emma is very strict church going. She's a failed, a failed entertainer who, you know, dedicated herself to the church and wants her children to stay on the, the right course. Um, Tika Sumter plays Dolores, who is uh, going to medical school, is politically outspoken. And uh, Jordan has the ambitions to be to be better um, than to kind of break out and, and pursue her songwriting and singing career. And, Car and um, Carmen's character, Tammy, whose sister, uh, she's a divorcee. She lives with her mother and her sisters. And now she's dating this stand up comedian who um, is self-hating and uh, played by Mike Epps, who also. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love seeing comedians. Um you know, take on dramatic roles. And I would say, I mean, yes, give him a supporting actor nomination because that was truly, that was, that, that, that was wow. That role for me was, well, he really ate that. Um, but he makes money by making black people the butt of his jokes. And so it was just a really well done film. And um, I think the line for me, Gabe, that got me um, was when, Whitney's character and Jordan's character, Sparkle Emma, they're having a conversation and um, she tells her, Emma tells Sparkle, you know, was my life not a cautionary tale for you? And I think what after because Whitney had passed away, um, what, six months prior, it was it was like this ominous, like um, it was almost like a, I don't even know the word that I could use to describe it, but it, it was like, wow, like, it's its creepy <laughs> and crazy that this is a part of the script because it's almost like Whitney wasn't just saying it as her character. She was saying it as Whitney Houston. You know, it's like we know the things that she suffered in public, uh, unfortunately, because this woman was such a gift and people didn't appreciate her while she was on this earth as much for me. Um, but she... To see, like, to hear that line and to see her reaction to that and to, to see that she's really warning her, um, I think that was just incredible. I think that was just, like, that That really was a, a moment for me. And I actually teared up at that part because, you know, um, as a fan, I, I was, you know, how it ended for her and the things that she's had to deal with in her career despite being the voice. It's, yeah.
that's uh and then of course her her singing his eyes on the sparrows will seal the deal for me um it was almost like she knew you know she knew she was going to go and um gave us one last great performance i still remember when whitney houston died i i still remember that moment and just being shocked i mean i was still in school at the time and i remember just being shocked and saddened because I was familiar with her music, or at least the music that, you know, white audiences introduced to me. But it was just really sad. And as a kid, I, I'm not sure if I was mature enough to understand or connect the dots between Whitney Houston's recent passing and the role she played in Sparkle. But you do make very good points about all of that. Yeah, and, she was uh, a gift. And I'll admit it did. Um, Whitney's death did cross my mind as I was watching her performance this time around. And this performance felt very authentic coming from Whitney. Mm. But that's because it was. I believe it was. I think this was probably her most authentic. Um, And I just, you know, after this film, she was supposed to go and um, start shooting. Um, The story goes, according to Angela Bassett, Loretta Devine, that she was excited to shoot uh, the sequel to Waiting to Exhale called Getting Too Happy, um, which is a phenomenal book for me. A lot of people, fans of Waiting to Exhale, of the novel, some were divided about it, but I loved it. And um, she was had checked herself to rehab and was ready to, to shoot it. And then, well, what happened happened. And, um, you know, I just know that had she done that film, she would have been at her best as an actress. Like, we really would have seen... And the, another side of her, the more, the more that she had done, man, she would have killed it, crushed it. Yeah, it is sad to think about what we could have gotten from Whitney if she were still alive today. It is something that you can't avoid thinking when it comes to actors who passed away relatively young. And I just remember that Kygo remix of Whitney's recording of Higher Love playing mm-hmm. in stores and just hearing her voice all these years later. Right, right. Um, I don't know. This this film, it just really holds a special place in my heart. I mean, in no small part to Jordan Sparks, who every time she's on a screen, she just lights it up. And as if I could love her more. I mean, this film definitely gave um, gave me that 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 feeling I love the love story that happened between her and um and Sticks and uh played by Derek Luke who was also a phenomenal actor um I just love how how the whole story played out I mean this was probably the best two hours (laughs) that I spent you know ever watching a film um it just it's it's a very it's a feel-good film for me it's a comfort film of mine um and I mean I mean what can you say there's not too much to say about this movie because it's just that good. Um, I like the update. I like that they updated it to Detroit, Michigan, 1968, the era of Motown, or um, I love that they kept like the original, and Mara Brocky Hill is such a brilliant writer. I've been a fan of hers for a long time. Um, Gabe, I don't know if you've ever seen her shows, but um, she is the woman responsible for Being Mary Jane, which you can find on Hulu or BET Plus. Um, check that one out. Um, also, she's responsible for Girlfriends. It ran for eight seasons on UPN. Um, was on a smaller network, a nascent network, but she was it was the highest rated show, the biggest show on that network. Um, but start over. Once you get to the end of season six, start 
go back to season one. Don't watch seven and eight because that was awful. And the show left unfinished. It was left unfinished and um, it was in another showrunner's hand. So she wasn't involved with seven or eight. And then the game, the game, it wasn't my type of show. The first three seasons were okay. Um, but it wasn't my type of show, but the game, you may like it. So check out those shows as well, because Mara Brocky Hill, she is a gift. She wrote this, the, the remake of Sparkle, and um, just, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I mean, this was a really nice update, um, and critics responded to this one much better than they did the original one. Um, it, it was just, it was just wonderful. I mean, it, it was melodramatic, it was old-fashioned, but, you know, um, it was it it transcended what it could have been um, because Salim McKeel is such a, a empathetic director, and you have this cast who just bring it, bring their A game. So yeah, I would agree with that. Having watched a lot of 1950s, 1940s melodramas recently, recently am... no, um, but no, I have definitely I'm, I'm, seen my fair share. One of my favorites is *Imitation of Life*. Um, I'm actually working on. Um, be, I, mean, I was inspired by that film to write my next novel, so um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited to share that when the time comes. I actually look forward to that. Thank you. I was just gonna say I um I was just gonna say that I had seen a lot of 1940s and 1950s melodramas recently, and I am familiar and aware of the sort of tone and subjects and. Mm -hmm how the um, usual melodrama sort of plays out. And I could see that in this movie, mm -hmm. even more so than even the 1976 version. First off, this feels more like a concrete plot this time around. So it's certainly more polished. Right. And I do think that this movie uses the melodramatic leanings right. to create some solid entertainment and also some decent stakes mm -hmm. like right. there were moments where i felt wrapped up in like the tension that was going on between these characters right. and their conflicts right and um i mean that's how i felt about the movie um like i said i just i just think it was really really well done overall do we want to talk about like say the setting because I think that adds a lot to this movie and feels rather important. This is Motown, and I did listen to quite a bit of it, mm -hmm. like, a couple years ago. I'm vaguely familiar with that sound, and I do think it creates some good songs here, and also gives this movie a fun style, mm -hmm. but also gives it some weight and some proper context. Right. Um, I asked for your thoughts on the setting, like the Motown 60s oh, setting. Well, I, I touched on it. I, I said what I thought. Um, I appreciated the update. Um, I felt like that gave it a more, um, it made sense to me, certainly to set it in Detroit in the 1960s as opposed to Harlem in the 1950s. I mean, this is the birthplace of soul music. And if you're going to do it, um, that's where you do it at. So I love that it took place at the end of the 60s and that it took place in Detroit. Um, but yeah, I had already, I addressed that. Yeah, I, I appreciated that setting. I, I, I just really love the remake far more than I do the original. Um, I mean, yes, I don't have any ill will towards the original because like I said, that was a different time. But I really love this remake a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So. I certainly can appreciate it and I definitely get the appeal. 
Um, I wanted to touch on my thoughts on Jordan Sparks' performance mm-hmm. because I feel like she conveys the inexperience of Sparkle. Mm-hmm. I definitely got a sense of inexperience in the character. Like she was still growing emotionally and still had things to learn. And I do think to this movie's credit, she does come out knowing something more. Right. And it's also a credit to Sparks' performance. Because right. I just think that she's a charismatic and likable lead. Right. And she does well with some of the movies more, I guess, over-the-top moments. Uh-huh. And I also think Carmen Jogo was really good. Yes. I'd only known her for her supporting performance in uh, Selma, but she was also really good as well. Yes, she was. She really, really was. And, um, I mean, I, I've known Carmen's work for a long time. So this wasn't an introduction to me. I was just surprised at how she was able to execute this role. Um, and she did it, like I said, flawlessly. Flawlessly. So, yeah, that's my take on it. And then another performance that stuck out to me was Mike Epps as Satan. Satan. Well, Satan. Satan. Yeah. But same thing, because, yeah, he was Satan in this movie, and I loved it. I love seeing comedians... Um, like I said, I love seeing them them take on dramatic roles. I love seeing what they can do, and so yeah, that that was pleasing to me. Someone somewhere um, made the argument that comedy can be harder to pull off than drama, and I certainly see the argument in that point. And I also appreciate when comedians turn to dramatic roles. Right. Because it offers great contrast. Right. Well, for me, I've always been of the opinion, not to cut you off, dear, but I've always been of the opinion that um, the reason, I don't know why people are so shocked when they see comedians are able to uh, do drama. You know, like people were shocked to see that Monique could do what she did in in Precious or that uh, Marlon Wayans could do what he did in Requiem for a Dream or of a Dream. But the thing is, I've always said this, that um, comedy is born from pain. Comedy is born from drama. So, yeah, it's it's easy to do drama even as a comedian because you're making light or having to make funny what was traumatic. So, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised at his performance at all. I was just floored that he had that acting. I wasn't surprised that he could do it per se. It was just that he had that type of range because I had never seen him in a role like that. And I haven't seen him in a role like that since. Um which somebody, maybe it needs to be me that needs to write that screenplay, a starring vehicle or something for him because uh, him and Carmen again or something, they were just just good. Just so, so good. So good. God, they were good. He certainly makes Satin a charming and charismatic love interest, if you want to call him that at first. You can certainly see why he could charm someone like I think it's sister my bad no you're fine and it became sort of hard to watch when he started inflicting his abusive behavior onto sister just because of how unsettling it was Uh and i could argue that i've seen these sort of plot points done before but this movie does them quite well and that applies to satan's role in the plot and i was still shocked when he was killed. Right. That just left chills 
all over me was how it was filmed and everything. Right. I mean, same thing, you know. I mean, I've, I've, you know, said all I had to say about the film. Um, I mean, same sentiment there. It's just, yeah, everything. Everything that you said, I felt. I've, you know, said it and, yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, how would you rate this film? I think if I was rating it on a scale of 10, I'd probably go with 6.5, 7-ish. I do appreciate the film for what it is, and I do appreciate its appeal, even if it's not a movie I'm going to seek out often. Uh I can certainly enjoy it and what it offers. It mainly works for me because the actors and the direction help overstep some of the contrivances in the material. Right. Well, if I had to rate it out of five stars, um, it would be four out of five. If I had to rate it out of ten stars, it would be, um, I would say, you know what, I would say four and a half out of five stars uh, or nine nine out of ten. Um, the reason being is because I wanted to see more Whitney. I think that was my only gripe with the film was that she wasn't... Um, like, I guess it's just because this was her last performance, and, I mean, she didn't know it was her last performance. I didn't know it was her last. Nobody knew, but, I mean, looking back at it in hindsight, that's maybe that's just me being selfish, because I really wanted to see her more in this film than we did. Um, if it was up to me, she would have been, like, Carrie Mulligan, a promising young woman. She would have been in every frame of the film, and um, we would have always seen her, but... Um, yeah, I, I just, I, I really enjoy this film. This is definitely one of those movies that, you know, when I have children, I will introduce um, this film to them and, and let them understand the greatness of the cast and the script and everything with, with Sparkle. I'm glad you're so passionate about it. And I'm personally, just being selfish, glad that I got to rewatch it and remember things about it that I may not have remembered before because it's been so long right right so don how do we find you on social media so um twitter twitter is where i live and breathe um i do have a facebook but it's a uh private facebook account it's a personal facebook account i am i will launch my public facebook account which is why i even have facebook in the first place um like my author's page soon um, but you can fa- find me at Dawn L underscore writes. So that is D-A-W-N-L underscore writes, W-R-I-T-E-S, on Twitter. And um, I'm very active on their Twitter. Like I said, it's where I live and breathe. Some people, everybody has their audience in different places. And, you know, um, that is where my audience is. So I, I, you know, love to connect with people. I love to speak to people. Follow me there. I'm very present on there. I interact with everyone that's positive that comes my way. And I'm just, you know, excited to be a part of the community, knowing you, Gabe, knowing the others and our love for film. Um, You know, that's, you know, just very exciting to me. Uh, My page is all about pop culture and celebrating, um, you know, actresses, celebrating um, great literature, celebrating great 
music with an emphasis on black folks because you know we don't get all the praise that we deserve so um but it's just fun um i enjoy it i, I really enjoy it and um i actually have a few things coming to twitter soon so you know make sure you give that that button a follow um give me a follow so that you can be in on it too everyone so yes i am on twitter at gabe the joker with two underscores i am also on instagram at Gabe underscore Warren. I'm also on Letterboxd as Mr. Hulo. You can find the Alternate Oscars page on Twitter at Alternate Oscars. The next episode will be rewarding the films of 1931 with Dimitri Merritt, so stay tuned for that. Be sure to rate and review this podcast to give it visibility. Until then, see you all next time. Next to the stage is another girl. Okay, just going out there and look pretty. But this isn't what we rehearsed. You want to win this money, don't you? Go. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sister and her sisters.